Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Brilliance Security Podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Bocut, and I am an editor for Brilliance Security Magazine. Brilliance is an online digital publication dedicated to the security industry. Our mission, and thus our name, is to illuminate the intersection of physical and cybersecurity. We cover both of these security domains by publishing original content about threats, hacks, products, and security strategies. We hope you will enjoy this podcast and visit us at BrillianceSecurityMagazine.com. Welcome to the Brilliant Security Magazine podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your listening. Today, we have an exciting guest. Today, we have Matt Polak. Matt is the CEO and founder at Picnic Corporation. And Picnic, if you're not familiar with them, we'll get Matt to talk more about this later. But uh, Picnic is a cybersecurity firm that provides enterprise-wide protection from social engineering. Our topics, more specifically, our topic today is going to be the role of open source intelligence in social engineering and how to mitigate it. So before we uh, bring Matt in, let me tell you a little bit more about him. Matt Polak is a subject matter expert in intelligence collection, having spent his career applying these skills to intractable growth and competitive strategy challenges for Fortune 500 companies. Matt's extensive experience and expertise in human intelligence inspired Picnic's creation to protect people from open source intelligence gathering by hackers. So with that, welcome, Matt. Thank you for joining me today. Stephen, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Fascin fascinating topic, uh, and I'm, I'm interested to to uh, to get into it. But before we get into the specific topic, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about Picnic. Tell us a little bit about your company and how long it's been around, core competencies, those kinds of things. Yeah, great. Thanks Thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to introduce us. So I think usually when I uh, want to come and talk a little bit about Picnic and what we're up to, I usually like to start by just telling people about the name because a lot of times people think, Picnic and cybersecurity and how do these ideas go together? Right. Uh, and for those that don't already know, uh, it's actually Picnic is an acronym that stands for the problem in the chair, not in the computer. Right. Oh, so it's sort okay. of a, I had no idea. Very good. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great we think it's a great way for talking about all the problems that humans have working with technology, which is really a great way for talking about this problem of social engineering, which is, you know, at its core, just fundamentally a, a human challenge. Um, and that's yes. You know, that's really what we're laser focused on uh, at Picnic. Um, I think just by way of introduction and a little bit of background on the firm, uh, we were started in 2019, really with a mission to come in and help enterprises uh, come upstream of the attack itself and help prevent social engineering attacks uh, before they happen. We can get in and talk a little bit about uh, how we do that and sort of what does that, what does that actually mean. Um, but as an organization, we're, we're really quite focused on this problem. Uh, today, team is about 40 people um, headquartered in the Washington, D.C. metro area, and uh, we've got a range of enterprise customers in financial services, food and beverage, high tech, um, energy and utilities, uh, so covering a pretty wide range of, of different uh, customer use cases, let's say, and and, uh, and end markets already. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'm going to be excited to learn a little bit more about it, but before we get there, Let's talk about social engineering. And so I'd like to get kind of a sense from your perspective about the, the role of social engineering in today's cyber attacks. And maybe we need to 
define human intelligence, open source human intelligence, just so that we're all using the same definition there. So uh, let me take a stab at it and then you can correct me because you're the expert, but in my mind, open source human, human intelligence is the data that's out there, the information that's out there that threat actors would gather and accumulate so that they can use it as the social engineering element of an attack that they're planning, right? It may be purely social engineering, or it may just be social engineering, may just be a small part of the attack. But in order to successfully carry out the social engineering part of that attack, they need to gather some data, some information about people, companies, those kinds of things. And that's the open source human intelligence that I'm in my mind. How did, how did I do? I think that's a good description. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the human attack surface as we talk about this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when, uh, when folks think about what, what does that mean? I think your description was great, Stephen. I, I would just add to it that uh, traditionally uh, the idea of open source intelligence or OSINT really is this sort of analysis, let's say, of, uh, of raw data that's out there. So you could have many disparate pieces of information about you or me, and it's really the process of analyzing that information that, that turns it into an intelligence In- product you know, that would be useful to a, to a threat actor who's trying to come after you or me or our companies or our families. So, okay. um, so yeah, it's, it's, but it's all the things you talked about, right? It's, it's the data about us that's out there, the data about us, about our companies that's out there. And it's really the process that, um, that assembles that into something that's useful and meaningful that uh, turns it into intelligence. Perfect. There we go. That's, that's, that's much more refined than what I was saying, but I certainly agree with you. So it's really the process, taking the data that's out there, but it's the process of analyzing that so that people can use it so all right matt explain for us if you will the the role that social engineering plays in today's cyber attacks um how does that work how does that work yeah so if you think about what's happened over the last 20 uh plus years um there's been this great hardening of infrastructure uh you know organizations have you know created defense in depth layers of protection uh, that have really successfully hardened the equipment, the machines, the servers, you know, all the infrastructure that that power our daily lives today. Uh, and as a result, most of the attacks that would traditionally target that infrastructure have now become quite expensive to affect, right? If you if you mm-hmm. think about it, you, you pretty much need a zero day uh, to to break into this hardened infrastructure, which are, you know, hard to come by and pretty expensive. Exactly. Um, and so what's happened is that the threat actors have pivoted to really focusing on the the soft target, the human targets, uh, as a way to bypass that uh, that hardened infrastructure. And so, so what does that really mean, right? So, uh, what that what that actually means in practice is that you or I has a digital identity that we use to to access critical infrastructure, to access our crown jewels of our company, uh, our email systems, our payment systems, you know, whatever it is. And it's really social engineering is really the the action, let's say, of tricking you or me into giving uh, the threat actor our identity, access to our identity, access to the privileges that we have that are associated with that identity, so we can come through the infrastructure, uh, they can come through the infrastructure, I should say, as us, uh, and and really ride on our identity and and come right through, right? Because the whole point of the hardened infrastructure is to only allow trusted identities through. So the threat actor's goal is to use social engineering to get access to that identity so they can use it to bypass all the controls and infrastructure that organizations have spent a lot of money and a lot of time putting in place to try to prevent, uh, you know, nefarious activity. 
All right. So the most basic example that I can think of is somebody talks you out of your password, right? So they sure. call you with such a great story that you, oh yeah, let me, you're, you're trying to help me, your tech support or whoever, whoever you're claiming to be, and let me give you my, my password. But I'm sure that it's much more complicated and sophisticated that than that. It's not just going yeah. to password. Well, so, so I think, you know, passwords are a great, a great area where this is something that happens a lot, right? So um, right. What, what we've seen that's been, I think, a rising trend is that uh, like threat actors in particular have been focusing on the personal life of, okay. uh, of folks that have access to infrastructure. It could be just an average employee. It could be an employee that has some kind of sensitive access. It could be an executive, right? But the threat actor is looking at that individual. They're not just looking at my work email and trying to identify where has that been involved in third-party breaches where my password might've been exposed, mm -hmm. but they're also looking to identify my personal email uh, and my mobile number and things like that that connect to uh, to accounts that I might have or I might have used a password uh, that's been exposed with you know the intent being can I collect all the passwords that Stephen or Matt use in their in their in their work and private lives and have like a nice little digestible uh, packet of those that I can then try to use in a credential stuffing attack uh, to break through mm. uh, you know uh, some some login page let's say or gain access to uh, a company's infrastructure. So I think passwords are a really uh, good and important way that this uh, that threat actors are are breaking in, right? And it's it's really relies on this uh, OSINT, this open source intelligence uh, idea that we've been talking about. Okay, interesting. Okay, so because I wanted to ask you to kind of discuss why it is that social engineering is so successful, and so from what from what you've just said, I'm getting. Maybe one of the reasons here again, I'm going to I'm going to take the, the a stab at it and you can correct me. So maybe one of the reasons that social engineering is so successful is because we kind of have a tendency to keep repeating the same passwords or using some uh, derivative of of a, a certain password because it's easy for us to remember. Is that is that a fair statement? Is that a big part of it? Or I think some password. Part of it? Yeah, I think password hygiene is, is a big part of it. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, there are a variety of technologies that have been invented to try to harden a password, let's say things like multi-factor authentication, or there's a big movement to passwordless security as well. Mm -hmm. um, but interestingly, threat actors have figured out how to work around that too, right? And so, um, you know, recent example, I mentioned the, the Uber breach earlier in our conversation, uh, they, they used, uh, well, many different types of attack techniques uh, to affect that attack, but one of them was actually MFA fatigue. And so, okay, oh, so okay. what, do, you know, so what does that mean, right? So, Essentially, uh, the the threat actors were able to figure out uh, who the employees were that you know that they needed to uh, essentially go after, uh, mm -hmm. and to send them repeated messages asking for uh, for the person's token that they got from their multi-factor authentication device, uh, mm -hmm. and you know through a combination of impersonating uh, the company or the, that the person worked for, impersonating a vendor, and sending these repeated messages, uh, the the individual in question essentially became fatigued and they said, okay, well, sure, you can have my my login token from my multi-factor authentication device, right? So, you know, so there it's a combination. So what did somebody need to, to be able to affect that attack, right? They needed to know, um, okay, well, who are the employees that could have the access? Uh, what's a phone number where I could reach them? Uh, what kind of multi-factor authentication device were they using? 
Uh, and, you know, from there, you know, it's just a matter of, of actually affecting the attack and trying to use the fatigue to, to wear someone down, right? So, but all the things that were required to be able to go after that person in the first place really are OSINT techniques, right? It's right. who are you? What's your phone number? What kind of technology are you using? Um, so that's, you know, that's a pretty key part for these social engineers. They don't have that reconnaissance information, uh, that data about, you know, someone and the tech that they're using and, and how they protect themselves. It can be very, uh, challenging for a, a threat actor to be successful. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Uh, when I was thinking about that question, I was thinking, well, maybe one of the, one of the reasons that it's so successful is because people are basically trusting, right? I think as mm -hmm. humans, we want to trust people. We don't want to feel like the world is full of people who are trying to, you know, harm us in any way. Is that part of it? Is that, would you say that's part of why social engineering is successful? Is just kind of the basic trusting nature of, of people or? I think or people, yeah, I think people are not suspicious enough uh, in their, in their nature, when it comes to these, uh, online interactions, I think okay. that is, I think that, you know, I think that's part of the challenge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I talk with, uh, with, you know, people that are in my circle a lot about, you know, well, what was it like before the internet? You know, if you were a kid and you were approached by a stranger on the street, like, I, I don't know about you, Stephen, but you know, my parents, we, we had a secret word, right? Oh, did you? And okay. If, and if that, you know, if that person didn't know the secret word, then, you know, I was not supposed to go with them. Right. right. So I, I think that, um, you know, those kinds of practices that might have been more commonplace in a world where there wasn't just this unfettered online access, um, you know, you've, you kind of people have lost a little bit of that uh, natural skepticism about, well, who is this person and why are they calling me or why are they texting me? Uh, right. Why are they reaching out to me? You know, it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't share, uh, you know, yeah. my <laughs> MFA token or my password or, or whatever it might be. And and I think that, um, you know, technology has done a lot of great things in this world for us. But one thing where I think it's it has caused some challenges as it has eroded some of that natural skepticism that, that just, um, you know, existed pre, you know, pre mobile phone, pre internet, uh, you know, does, doesn't mean yeah. people can't be trusting. Right. But I think yeah. having a healthy dose of skepticism is important. Yeah, that's true. And I think people are becoming more sophisticated, more intelligent about that, but there's probably a lag between the education that we need to to know what to watch for and and the tactics that threat actors might use. I know in my personal life, more and more people come to me and say, oh, I got this kind of an, an email. Is that probably a scam? Or I got this text message and they want me to click on this link. Should I or shouldn't I do it? Those kinds of things where I didn't used to get those kinds of questions uh, hardly at all. Yep. Uh, and so those attack methods are becoming more commonplace and people's awareness of that and kind of their suspicion around that is probably increasing as well, I would think. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think there are two sides to it there. I mean, one is what you've said. The other is that the attackers are getting more sophisticated too. Um, right. You know, yeah. yeah. For sure. There are these uh, less sophisticated attacks, the geek squad email or the, you know, the, the text message that says your CEO needs a gift card, you know, those yeah. kinds of things. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, there was um, a recent attack uh, against Okta and a number of other companies, Cloudflare, et cetera, where the threat actors were able to, in near real time, create a very sophisticated attack that targeted the individuals in the company using open source intelligence about them. Uh, mm -hmm. and created essentially login pages that looked a lot like the organization's login pages as a way to steal, you know, to harvest the credentials that employees use. So 
Um, you know, this, uh, I've talked a little bit about this in the past, but I think there's been, there is this movement toward this industrialization or this productization of, uh, of social engineering. You know, we've seen it with ransomware uh, and some services like that, where people have invented a ransomware as a service where you can buy different parts of it. You know, we are starting to see now, I think also this, um, you know, social engineering as a service where uh, threat actors are, are actually creating the ability to do this at scale. Um, right. And uh, I think the, some of the things that are happening around like OpenAI, the chat GPT that mm -hmm. um, has been released recently has gotten a lot of, of uh, uh, I think, of press. And it's been, a, it's a really fascinating piece of technology where you can basically ask it almost anything. It will write an email or, you know, answer a oh, question sure. or write a paper for you, write really cool use cases. Well, you know, um, I think making sure there are some precautions around how that kind of technology gets used as part of a scaled attack is something that, you know, that frankly, we're, as a society, we're not quite ready to figure out, you know, we're not sure how to deal with that, right? It's a really challenging right. question. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's so much more sophisticated. Gone are the days when it was a simple email or web page that was put up you know, pretending to be Bank of America and they misspelled America. Right? It's, it's <laughs> right. much more right. sophisticated than that. Yeah, that's uh, true. All right. So um, you've alluded to some of this, but I would be interested to hear more about the, the kinds of um, human intelligence that hackers are looking for. So what kind of information are they out there gathering? Mm. And uh, uh, Yeah, so I, I think that, well, the number one thing that folks are looking for today still is credentials. It still is usernames and passwords. That's still the okay. number one thing. Um, and, you know, I think the more, uh, the more data that's available about you as an individual, the easier it is to identify those usernames and passwords. And okay. So, and that's really, I guess, where I was driving with that question is you know, they, they need to come up with this tertiary information, if that's even the right term to kind of build up towards, okay, are you a high value target? And if you're a high value, once we've established that, what your chart, what your password might be, or what other, you know, valuable pieces of information can they leverage? But they're starting with, you know, where you work, I guess, and, and very yeah. basic information that they just get off social media. Is that, That's is that right. a commonplace? Yeah. The number, you know, we did a lot of research into this, um, as part of the, the starting and the building of the company. And, um, the number one data source for threat actors is LinkedIn. Um, oh, really? You know, okay. Yep. And, you know, the reason for that is that it's the, it's a very high fidelity source for information about you and the place that you work. Mm -hmm, uh, right. And so, so that's, that's the place where, uh, where most threat actors start and they start looking there to figure out, you know, where does Steven work? Where does Matt work? Uh, what is their work history? And from there you can pivot into where do they live? Mm -hmm. uh, and then using, um, you know, very basic research techniques, you can identify uh, personal emails through things like data brokers uh, and mobile phone numbers through things like data brokers that can right. then be used to go look inside of breach data repositories where I could find passwords uh, about you uh, or about right. you. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that's a fairly easy chain to follow, you know, social media to, you know, location to data broker to email, right? That's that's a fairly straightforward kind of a problem. There's There's more complex versions of that, of course, but yeah. But that's that's a key that's a key thread that these guys are are pulling on for sure. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and I mean, and most of that 
I know, I know salespeople do that successfully all the time. <laughs> They're yeah. trying to sell you something. They track you down. They find out your phone number and your email and, and those know, kinds sale, of things. Salespeople are naturally, good salespeople, I think, are naturally uh, adept at social engineering. It's true, yeah, right? It's, it's exactly. uh, they, they understand how people think and how, you know, what drives them and all these things. And they know they just need a few pieces of data to open up that conversation. Yeah. Okay. So. This is where I really wanted to get. So tell us how does Picnic, how Picnic helps organizations remediate these OSINT vulnerabilities, uh, mm. if I can use that term. So what is it that, that your platform, tell us, I assume it's a, it's a technological platform and how does it work? How do you, how do you help people? Sure. Great. Yeah. So we, um, we have two different applications that work together. Uh, so we have one application that's used by the security team. Uh, and that really is focused on exposing risk uh, and giving the security organization visibility into the problems. So they can actually see who in the company is likely to be targeted and how. Uh, actually so see the information. So like the security team can see that I'm an idiot on Facebook and I put way too much information. Is that <laughs> no, the kind no, no. of thing? We, no? So 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 first of all, you know, I think our point of view on this is is to be very privacy forward about this, right? Okay. Um, so what we're trying to do is is focus in on um, specific different types of attacks uh, mm -hmm. uh, that can be used or can be made, let's say, against you or me or any other employee. And then mapping really your open source footprint as an individual against those attacks. So um, it, it wouldn't be the case that we would say, you know, here is Steven's address or here is Steven's Facebook page. We would say, found a Facebook page, found a home address, found a birthday, found a clear text password, right? Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, there's In some- Almost a red, a red teaming fashion. So you're going to go out and look for it and say, well, if I find it, guess what? Threat actors are going to find it. And yeah, then... I think that's a, that's a good and easy way to think about, you know, about what that view looks like, right? It's so okay. if you imagine, you know, thousands of people- that work in your company and uh, and each person is given uh, a number a risk number that's mm -hmm. associated with how likely they are to be targeted in an attack okay. and if you start to unbundle well what is what's what's inside of that that number what really builds that number it's really all the different disparate pieces of information that can be found about you that um, that are useful to a threat actor um, so, you know, but visibility and, and understanding the problem is important, but it's not, it's not the whole, it's not the solution. Right. So, right. um, so in addition to that, we have focused on building out remediations, uh, for the data that we find. So a couple of examples there. Um, so one, uh, we are, uh, bringing back, first of all, we're, we're telling you as an individual, this is under the umbrella of credentials. We've talked a bunch about that as, as a mm -hmm. big problem here. We're telling you as an individual through that employee application that we have, Hey, Stephen, these are the credentials we found about you. Let's make sure that you're not using them in any work or personal application, oh, right? So like, let, let's make sure that you as an employee are protected and, uh, and are safe at home and at work. Um, we are also providing back to the organization a, uh, a, an API feed of the ClearText credentials for all the employees so that the organization can make sure those are not being reused inside of company infrastructure. Okay. Um, so there are many big famous attacks that have relied on reusing those personal credentials. Colonial is an example of that, the Colonial Pipeline breach. And so we want to make sure that, you know, my fuzzy kitten, you know, 99 password that I use for, you know, some service that had a breach is not also the password that I use to log into my VPN. And that's just an automated process that kind of happens yep. in the background. You're out there gathering all of these clear text passwords that have been breached and exposed. That's right. And then you're just running that against what's currently being used in your infrastructure to see if that's there's right. matches, that kind of thing. Oh, yep. that's very interesting. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a good and interesting one. 
Um, you know, another example of something that we're doing to help organizations uh, is we're actually inviting employees into this employee facing application, uh, where we're giving them also access to data about their data broker footprint. So we're monitoring for information about data brokers where you could find your, you know, all the things we've talked about, your birthday, your home address, your email, et cetera. And we're working to remove those in an automated fashion for people on a continuous basis. And, you know, this is a really interesting problem um, because these data brokers, you know, they don't, they don't really want to take the data down. Mm -hmm. So if you remove it from one place, they might have a sister or brother site where they put it back up. Right. Uh, and so what we built is an automated system that monitors for that data continuously. So we know when that happens and we can submit a takedown request again. Oh. Uh, and this okay. has been, um, this is something that our customers really love and, and it's, uh, you know, their employees really like it because it's, you know, security and privacy as a benefit is being given to them. Yeah. Uh, it helps you as a, as an individual, it also helps the organization. Um, so those are, those are two very OSINT focused things. I would say we're also working with security teams to be able to make, uh, authorization decision, risk-based step-up authorization decisions about, uh, about users based on new information that, that happens out in the wild, right? So out in, in the public domain, outside your perimeter, uh, I might have something happen with my, with my identity that puts okay. me at a much heightened, uh, degree of risk. And we want to make sure that my identity can't be used to, uh, to log in. Uh, and so we want to actually lock down, let's say, uh, log into a certain aspect of infrastructure, maybe a VPN or, uh, or email, whatever it might be, right? So we want to actually connect the external risk profile and footprint that, that each employee has back to their access to the organization. We're not saying we're going to lock them out, but we want to make sure that Matt is Matt or that Steven is Steven. Um, and, you know, given that most of these attacks, in fact, nearly all of these attacks, right, originate with OSINT from outside the perimeter, and we're looking at that, we want to give organizations the power to improve things like zero trust, uh, to really leverage that information to make themselves safer in real time. Hmm. Wow, that's fascinating. So is any of that dependent on like self-reporting? Uh, the employee needs to come to you and say, oh, guess what? This bad thing happened. You know, somebody got a hold of my credit card number. Somebody got a hold of my password for my, you know, my Twitter account. Or is it all just, it's automated technology that's happening. You're still, you're just monitoring the dark web, like we talked before for that kind yeah, of information no, to pop up? It's automated, right? So we're trying to replicate the lens that the threat actor has. So if the threat actor okay. can see it and make use of it, we want to make sure it can't be used right. uh, to, to damage, you know, the individual or the organization. Interesting. Well, that's pretty fascinating. Okay. Um, excellent. So um, looks like we're, we're used our time, but I do want to end with kind of a, an open-ended question here. The essence of this question is like, what should I have asked that I failed to ask? But, you know, really it is what, what else does our audience need to know about social engineering and or um, about Picnic um, that may have come to your mind while, while we were talking? You know, I think that, um, you know, the number one thing that people, you know, your everyday listener should, should remember is that every single one of these attacks starts with research. That's actually the starting point for every one of these attacks. Uh, and by just trying to think about the world that way, you can shift the ability of the attacker 
uh, and make it much harder for them to come after you, right? So if you don't know anything about me, or if you only know certain things about me, uh, and those aren't useful to you as, as an attacker, you're going to go find someone else who's easier to go after or another organization who's easier to go after. And so, um, you know, it's sort of the old, uh, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You yeah. just have to be faster than the other camper, you know, <laughs> exactly. And maybe not the best saying for this, but, but it's that way of thinking. Right. And so right. I think just, I think making sure that folks are trying to keep that in their mind's eye that, you know, every one of these attacks starts with research and that is actually the root cause here. And the less there is about you, the less likely you are to be attacked out there. So, so as an expert in this area, would you say that generally speaking, many of us need to be a little more cautious about the information that we put out there? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this is a natural thing. The internet has changed a lot in the last, you know, 30 years, and uh, it is not uncommon for us to work with security professionals who uh, we find information about them from a MySpace page or, you know, an old social media account that, you know, that they had set up before they were a security professional, right? They just, yeah. and, and just like a lot of us, right, there's stuff that we've just forgotten about. So um, I think that's a big part of what we do is actually identify that information so it can't be used, right, right. Uh, and to help people. Okay. Well, that's, this has been really fascinating. So kind of the takeaway that I've got, and, and I'll let you correct me if this is not the right way to think about Picnic, but the way I see Picnic now that we've had a chance to talk a little bit is, an organization that has the wherewithal to um, look, and you use this expression, but look through the lens of the of the the threat actor and see where information is for my organization and what vulnerabilities are out there. Looking through the lens of the threat actor and do something about that before the threat actor does. So you just kind of have to stay one step, and that's security in general. That's what we do, right? We stay one step ahead of the threat actor, but you're doing it from an open source uh, human intelligence perspective, uh, which I, I is, sense, yeah. which, which you know, as, a, as a, both an employee and as an organization, I think there would be a lot of um, comfort that would come from that, knowing that there's somebody out there watching my back, right? In case something gets exposed, there's somebody who's not going to gather the information, use it against me, who's also watching for that information so that it can be, you know, taken down or protected or changed or whatever has to happen. So that's fascinating. All right, Matt. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on today. It's been uh, very educational for me and uh, very informative. I appreciate that. So thanks for spending some time with us today. And a big thanks to our listeners for being with us. Please remember to like and subscribe if you find this podcast interesting. And join us next time for another episode of the Brilliance Security Magazine podcast. Bye.